This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 271. I have invited Dr. Melanie Salmon to talk to us today about healing trauma and specifically healing trauma with something that she has designed called QEC. Now, this isn't a big infomercial. I'm certainly not selling someone's product here or idea or design or sessions or courses. I am always interested in anything that may help someone lead a better life, a low-tox life. And our mind pillar, we have food, body, home, and mind. And then, of course, the overarching aspect of looking after our beautiful planet home through everything we do. Uh, The mind aspect is a big one because if we are in a stress state, if we are living and responding because of trauma, because we are in fight or flight, that can create conflicts that don't need to be conflicts. It can create suppression of emotion that needs to be expressed to be healthy. It can create discord, disconnection, mental health challenges that just simply don't seem to resolve no matter what we do. And anything that I ever come across that seems to be helping a shed ton of people and could potentially help you out there, if you need this, then uh, I am all for exploring these different methods that people have devised to support people in living a healthy life and healing from past adversities or present adversities, uh, whether they be kids, adults, uh, anyone in between. I'm really fascinated by the work Melanie does. And so I'm very excited to move into this conversation uh, in a minute. She's actually a Uh, doctor by trade. Uh, She practiced in general practice for decades, Uh, but there were always patients that did not seem to improve no matter what pharmaceutical interventions she threw at them. That's why she then studied psychotherapy, became a gestalt psychotherapist, um, and sometimes that wouldn't be enough either. And so she studied neuroscience and really started to put together the pieces of what it might look like to be able to allow someone to deeply heal and release past traumas from their physiology and from their minds. And I think you will agree after listening to this uh, conversation that that QEC definitely has a huge amount of potential to support people Uh, She has now coaches all over the world who support people. uh, And the, the testament is that these people were supported themselves first initially and then just wanted to share that with others. And I think something like that is always just so powerful when you've experienced the change yourself. So I'm going to hook into that conversation just a little minute, but I want to remind you all Australians out there, you've got 10% off all year round from our major sponsors at Oz Climate. So that's ausclimate.com.au and they sell fantastic dehumidifiers and air purifiers of different shapes, sizes and types depending on your layout, your floor plan, 
You can always give them a buzz and have a quick call about what's going to work well for you. But I'm a big fan of the work they do. Uh, I have an air filter right here next to me as I'm recording uh, in um, sleep mode so that it doesn't make too much noise for the show. And we have a dehumidifier that we run between the laundry and the bathroom. And then sometimes overnight in our living space, if it's a really humid, stinky summer's day, uh, we're here in February as I record this, and that's our toughest month here in Sydney. And it's been really wet. So there's a lot of humidity around. And my passion for my own health is obviously keeping our indoor air humidity under 60% to avoid mold growth. Uh, for health reasons, of course, and then for the value of our possessions. You don't want mold growing all over your bags and shoes and having to throw things out. Um, that also then became becomes really unsustainable. So there are actually multiple implications uh, when it comes to mold growing in the home, and I'm a big fan of Oz Climate. So 10% off with your code LOWTOXLIFE. Go make the most of it uh, if this is the right time for you to explore such an appliance in your life. And now let's enjoy this revolutionary system that Dr. Melanie Salmon has created for healing trauma. I really do hope if this is something that connects with you, if you're interested, please do share your feedback. I do love hearing when something really works for someone out there uh, and, uh, and, and I think something like this is going to be pretty special for quite a few of you guys listening. Enjoy. Hello, Melanie. How are you? Good, good, and excited to be talking to Australia again. I think I've done a couple of podcasts in Australia. Oh, uh, wonderful. It's a nice way to travel during a pandemic. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is, yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by the work you do in trauma and helping people obviously uh, move through and beyond uh, things that have been holding them back, mental blocks, that are keeping them in negative loops and, and really painful loops. Uh, but that's not where things started for you. Uh, you've actually come from a career, a career of being a, a general practitioner uh, for 40 years. And, and so I'd, I'd love to start there. Obviously, there was a passion for helping people that got you into medicine to begin with. But over the 40 years, what were you seeing perhaps as gaps in terms of the way you were able to show up and support people and in terms of the improvements that you did or didn't see in patients over time? All right. Well, I, I have moved countries a bit in that time mm. and my medical career certainly was 40 years from the beginning, but I was only in general practice in the UK in uh, the last 30 years of, of my career because before that it was all sorts of other jobs. And I basically am South African. Uh, so I was born in South Africa, went to medical school there, uh, was, was heavily influenced by the political stuff going on at the time. In fact, was witness to, when I was working at the hospital, witness to the first riots that happened uh, in the children trying to protest against education. And, and we had to, uh, take all these, these injured children that had been shot by the police in, into our casualty department. So I, I got involved at a very early age in, in being concerned about the wider picture as well, not so much on medicine itself. But then we left South Africa and moved to the UK because we felt it, it wasn't a safe country to, to bring our children up in. And I've been in England ever since. And that's when I took up general practice. So 
what was it about general practice? Well, I suppose I'm very much a general family clinician. I'm interested in, in everybody in the family, from the parents to the grandparents to the children. And I really thought that that was going to be my, you know, very uh, fulfilling and lasting career. But uh, what was troubling me was that probably in the last 10 to 15 years or so of my career, I was seeing more and more of the sort of thing that I couldn't help. And, and, and that was the range of trauma. You know, people coming back from having been posted to war in, in, in the Middle East, soldiers coming back with PTSD and having lost their careers and, and not being able to help them. Also seeing a, a lot of depression, a lot of chronic anxiety. And it really frustrated me that all I had were pharmaceutical agents, you know, put people on antidepressants or, or something to calm their nerves. And it didn't, it didn't take the problem away. And I've always been somebody that's looked for, for solutions by going to the cause. And it bothered me that in my profession, we were just putting a Band-Aid on a wound and we weren't looking to understand what caused this. So I got very interested in uh, looking for the cause while I was still a GP. I would go and spend hours in people's homes finding out, you know, what made you depressed? Where, where did this start? And the more I looked into it, the more I began to see that the, what we really are dealing with here is trauma, but especially trauma from the distant past, not just yesterday's trauma, but trauma from childhood. And, and that got kick-started my interest, really. And also my feeling of helplessness that in general practice, I didn't really have the tools to make any significant difference. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I often feel it's a shame that finding different ways to help people heal isn't more widely recognised and isn't more yearned for by the medical profession and boards. Um can you speak to that as someone who's been in that system? You know, I think the system is, is something that I've found difficult to understand because as I was learning that there were causes for these and I started getting excited and curious and interested, I would try and stop my colleagues in the corridor and say, hey, you know, I've discovered this. <coughs> what do you think about that? And, and, and I was met with the same response every time, which was, haven't got time for this. Sorry, sorry, too busy. Haven't got time. And I think the whole structure of the way, it's not just medicine, but it's business as well. Everything is structured according to time and money and, and uh, you efficiency. Know, yeah. Yeah. And it's not really so much about, about quality and and causation and, and the value of life in, in that way. And for me, that's what was lacking in, in my profession anyway, in general practice. There were very few people who were prepared to go and use their own time, which is what I was doing. I would spend my afternoon, which most doctors would have off and go and take a rest before the evening surgery. I would go and sit with my patients in my own time. And they all thought I was nuts. <laughs> and they understand why I was doing this but uh, yeah I learned a lot that way so yeah. I started yeah and what you said there by saying you had to actually spend your own time with patients trying to dig and and find out how you could support them better and where things were coming from speaks to this whole system driven by by constraints of time and 
and I even think of our own community and the major reasons people do or don't achieve or do things that they want to do in life is time and money. And, and it feels like we've been sort of hoisted into this system and no one really quite knows how to opt out save literally moving to the country and homesteading and abandoning shit or leaving the medical system and establishment. And it almost feels like a shame that we can't find a way to fix things from the inside. Um, maybe that's a root cause uh, study in and of itself to do. Um, let's hope it will come. Let's hope it will come. Uh, I mean, I, I really felt that I had to get out yeah. in order to find another way. And in fact, that's the name of my book, which is now published. I've called it, There Has to Be Another Way, mm. because I used to come home and say to my husband every night, medicine's not working. There has to be another way to do this. Mm. And he laughingly said, that'll be the title of your book one day. And it ah! is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. That's a great origin story for a book title. Um, okay, so you then move into uh, going all in on helping with this psycho-emotional illness, dysfunctional nervous systems, trauma. Um, what is it about trauma that elicits so many symptoms in people? Uh, and um, and how can we identify whether something is psycho-emotional or a physical ailment um, that isn't attached to the emotion when we're trying to figure things out uh, if we have a complex medical picture? Right. I, one thing I haven't mentioned is that I'm also a Gestalt psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. I trained uh, when I found medicine was lacking in the talking field. Uh, and I really didn't know how to listen to clients. I went and trained as a psychotherapist. And then I, I ran the two careers side by side. I do my psychotherapy at night and my, my medicine during the day. So, so I knew a lot about the psycho-emotional distress and what was going on there with clients. And I was a very good uh, gestalt psychotherapist. Uh, but the thing that troubled me about that was that it, people were still coming to me on a weekly basis for five years and not much had changed on the talk therapy side. So, so my, my cry, if you like, was not just on the medical side with the physical illnesses, but in the psycho-emotional department, they weren't making much progress either. So I knew both, uh, I mean, human beings, all, all, all of everything, we're, we contain everything in us. We're both physical and psycho-emotional, of course. But um, it looks like it's frozen. No, no. No, it's not frozen. Okay. No, all good. I'm just listening intently. <laughs> right. um, so, so, so you ask me then, then what, what is this whole trauma story? Well, I have to be perfectly honest with you that very few people understand trauma and know what it is. Most patients don't know what it is. Many doctors don't even know what it is, and they don't even go there. But trauma is a composite response of the human organism on all levels from the physical where you get sick to the emotional where you will have feelings about it to this mental where you have thoughts about it to the spiritual so trauma affects us through our entire beings on every level okay and it, it, it's it's not easy to for, for ordinary lay people and for doctors even to know what is it how does it manifest 
you know what is it because in fact it's all the things that we see all the time is the person showing up with chronic anxiety the person turning up with an alcohol problem the person coming up with chronic depression all of these are symptoms of trauma because the minute you go into the story and you trace it back you'll find ah the depression started when i lost my mum or the alcohol started when I lost my job or I came back from war. So every one of these so-called ordinary things that doctors are seeing all the time have their roots usually in trauma. Very few don't. In fact, if you're trauma-free, which few people are nowadays on the planet, if you're trauma-free, you don't get sick and you don't have psycho-emotional problems. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it like does. It's connected to trauma. Yeah, it does. And so... Trauma seems to be being talked about a lot at the moment. And I just want to get your take on when is something a trauma that we need to address and deal with? And when is something perhaps about um, more about building uh, resilience and not overreacting. And I'm not belittling anyone's experience in asking this question at all, but I do notice sometimes, um, whether it be from helicopter parenting or too many self-help books and uh, all these things are wrong with me and I'm a victim, victim mentality that isn't actually sometimes warranted um, and is a dysfunction of, you know, cultural norms that have crept up. Um, I just want to see if we can delineate in any way um, trauma. I, th I think the problem about trying to give trauma a definition and trying to, to make it stand as, as something that can be identified as a condition or something separate it, it is a problem. Mm, okay. So let, let me put it this way. When I started looking into what is trauma, and I didn't know anything about trauma as a doctor. I really didn't. Okay, I knew about medical problems. And as a psychotherapist, I knew about psychological problems. But in both professions, nobody talked about, they didn't know what trauma was. And the first time that trauma was actually officially recognized was after the Vietnam War in the 1970s because that many people came back from that so many soldiers with horrendous psychological psycho-emotional and physical problems and they were labeled as having eventually they gave it a name they called it post-traumatic stress disorder post-trauma stress disorder right mm. and they said that's trauma and that's it everything else is not trauma yeah so there's been an evolution away from that original understanding, trauma only happens to those rare things, people who go to war and, and not much else. All the rest of it is just normal living, was always the thinking. Mm. Until very recently, it's only been, I would say, in the last 20 years or so that people have been actually saying, no, hang on a minute. Any condition, be it physical or psychological, in which you are extremely uncomfortable and, and you're distressed or you're unhappy or you're not functioning, you're not able to function, that is likely to be in, in the area of trauma. Mm -hmm. so it, it, the, the definition has gone from those, that extreme situation to much more of a daily thing. So, for example, 
the people, the kind of people I'm seeing all the time are your ordinary, ordinary folk who get sent to me. For example, Monica, I, I can use people's names when they've given me their permission. She was sent to me because her boss uh, said that she's got burnout. She wasn't able to work anymore. She hadn't worked for three months. Please would I see her. N N Monica's a bright young woman. She's doing a PhD uh, and she couldn't, she couldn't study for her PhD. And here is somebody who presented really just as a problem, I can't go to work um, and presented with burnout. When I went into the history of how long has this been going on for, how did it start, we went all the way back to the age of seven when she had a, a, a terrible medical skin condition and had to stay out of school for several years and was very traumatized by the loss of friends and all of that and all the medical treatments that went with that. So we worked on that as a trauma and, and healed that and healed all various other things. Within four sessions, she was back at work no more anxiety, none of the problems of chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety. It all went in a, in a matter of four sessions because we worked on the traumas that caused that. So uh, that's just a, a sort of typical example of ordinary folk who, are, who reach a point of, if you like, breakdown. They're, they're not working. They're not being focused anymore or efficient anymore, or they may have some kind of physical presentation to it. But more often than not, when you go to the cause of that, you find that there's a trauma that needs to be healed from. Okay. Yeah. I've got to talk about a big topic and give you just one example, but I'm, I'm hoping that gets gets it across. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and so we find things, therefore, in people's childhoods. Can trauma also build up from a bunch of tiny little like letdowns or moments that felt unjust or a breakup and and get stored to the point where there's a tipping point yes you see the there are there are different kinds of traumas there's a single trauma like the loss of a parent or um the loss of a job or war there's, there's single traumas a bad accident or bad medical condition or procedures can cause uh a traumatic response in the brain but in fact the more insidious and the commonest type is the kind of childhood trauma which is just day-to-day -day repetitive small stuff not that not anything big in particular but just the neglect they're not being seen they're not being uh, supported by the parents maybe a criticism maybe a, a smack now and again or shouted at if that goes on day in day out it then produces in the child's nervous system response in the nervous system is a trauma response, which is the nervous system to shut down and disconnect from emotions. And that's called complex childhood trauma. And it's called complex because it's going in year in and year out and there's a com complex impact on the entire nervous system. So when that child comes out of childhood into adulthood, they have the consequences of those years and years of relentless assault on the nervous system hmm. so it's not often about whether say a parent or a teacher thinks they're being too harsh but it's actually how it's being received by the child hmm. that's huge um yeah wow okay i'm just i'm processing as well here so um so in terms of these 
traumas, be they single trauma or collective over time, uh, they instill a pattern or a loop within us somehow. Um, talk to me about how that can manifest differently for different people. Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by a loop. I think what oh, you like mean... then any tiny thing might happen and then you're in the trauma response. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think what you're referring to maybe is being triggered. Yes. Uh, be, you know, like somebody's just pushed your buttons and then you, you're back in yeah. the trauma. Yeah. So that, this is the problem. You see, trauma doesn't heal itself. Mm. When we are traumatized, what happens in the nervous system is that the trauma gets stored, the memory of that trauma gets stored in a part in the brain called procedural memory. Don't worry too much about the word, but the importance about that, that kind of memory, that's the same memory as we have when under the age of five or seven, we learn to talk, walk, ride a bicycle. It all gets stored in procedural memory. It's that part of the brain that never forgets. When we're traumatized, it also gets stored in that part of the brain, gets hardwired. So when we're doing our life and we're adults and everything's fine, all of a sudden somebody does something that reminds us or touches into that memory of that trauma when we were six years old and something nasty happened. We will suddenly be triggered. And when we're triggered back into the memory, the emotions come back, the feelings come back, the whole body responds as if it was happening yesterday. And this is the loop you're talking about. Mm. And it can take days to come out of it. Yeah. So that's basically a person being triggered back and there's a red flag going, there's a trauma here that's not healed. And I take those red flags as gifts because anyone coming to me and says I was triggered into this experience, I'll go, right, we know where the trauma is now. And mm -hmm. I, I have a way of working with trauma that heals it in one session uh, completely and permanently because I work at the subconscious level of mind. So we can get into the procedural memory that way. Mm. So that's what that is. The looping is because once you're traumatized, you don't, it doesn't go, it doesn't heal by itself. It mm -hmm. just stays in the brain. Yeah. And, and so is the key then to accessing and working with the subconscious mind? Absolutely. It's the only way that you can get it at, at something that has been hardwired into that area of the brain, the mm. permanent area of the brain. And, and that all comes from the, from the work of Bruce Lipton, who yes. showed that, you know, forget about it. Unless you, unless you can find a way to work at the subconscious level of mind, you're wasting your time. Because our conscious mind, where we talk and think from, is a tiny computer. It's equivalent to about 4,000 bits a second. The subconscious mind is 4 billion bits a second. So that's where the power is. That's the big computer, the subconscious mind. And so I devised my, my method to work with that part of mind. And that's why people change within one session my sessions aren't long, and this Monica I was telling you about was over her burnout and her chronic anxiety in four sessions. She was back at work. So it's very quick because we're working with the big, the big computer, if you like. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you develop, you obviously discover that you need to get to the subconscious mind. How do you get from that point of understanding as a practitioner to then creating what you did create, which is the QEC, 
Um, can you talk me through how you decided how you were going to go about it? Well, I'd hoped that somebody had done it. You see, when I read Ruth Lipton's book, I thought, yes, of course, it makes sense. We have to work with the subconscious mind. Now, let me try and find out who's doing it. And, and I went all over the show. Luckily, I was living in London and I was also in America. And I went to all kinds of courses and people that were doing little bits here and there. But nobody was doing a comprehensive approach to it. Uh, people were doing aspects of approaching the conscious mind people were working in in neuroscience so it took me about two and a half years of discovering that actually nobody knew how to work with it properly no not in any logical sequential way that that I'm used to working as, as a doctor and a psychotherapist so what I did was um, again it was thanks to my husband he said to me one day haven't you been to enough of these courses and I said, well, I'm still looking. And he said, why don't you create your own? Just put them all together and create your own. Oh, supportive husband pushing you to do it. Love it. I said to him, don't be silly. I can't do that. And I slept on it and I woke up in the morning and I thought, you know, he's got a point. So I sat down and I decided to combine them all and into, because I do have the basic of Gestalt psychotherapy. So my QVC is basically the first, half or two-thirds of the session is gestalt it's sitting with my client and finding out what their story is and then narrowing it down to the problem and finding out where the trauma is and then we move into the second part of the session which is how we access the subconscious mind and it's a technique that combines three things it's a certain way of breathing it's called heart math breathing breathing which i the Heart Math Institute, where you create an electromagnetic field around the body by breathing in a certain way for, for, for a, a few minutes. And, and once you create that electromagnetic field around the body, I then get people to sit in a crossover position to join the left and right hemispheres together like that. That comes from brain gym. And then the third part is I ask the person to bring up a feeling of gratitude thinking of something they feel grateful for. And as soon as they can bring up gratitude, that triad of things changes the brainwave to a very fast gamma brainwave. Our normal brainwaves is about 20 and the gamma is over 70. So as soon as they can feel gratitude, I know their brainwave has gone to over 70. I give them the sentence that they want to install and then they just repeat it loud after me. And then they use their intuition to know when it's gone in. It takes about 20, 20 seconds to install. And that's it. That's that sentence gone in. And that then changes the wiring in the brain. And, of course, we install about 10 sentences in the session or thereabouts. That's kind of how. So, so I basically used uh, stuff from all over the place, including my own experience of being a Gestalt psychotherapist. That, that's the container for the work. That's how I hold work. The inquiry process which is a is, is a very good one and yeah that's fantastic that's and what you're describing there for me as someone who's struggled with some of the ways of accessing the subconscious mind such as extended meditations I know a lot of people feel frustrated by those sorts of techniques because they're like oh, sometimes it actually just brings up worse things and now I can only focus on my problems and uh, or, or sometimes they don't access the magic like they're told they're going to be finding and 
what you're describing is something very guided and specific. Um, yeah. So people can really just focus on achieving the steps almost within the session. Yes, and anyone can do it. You know, I, I work with people in all in all states, people who are actually very distressed or anxious or whatever, and they have no problem achieving because we're only asking it to, to hold that... Um, that brainwave, if you like, for a few seconds, and anyone can do that. But as you say, when you're trying to have meditation where you have to use your own power of control, it, it's, it's almost impossible for people who are distressed or suffering from anxiety to, to be able to do that. But just about anybody can, can well, I, I haven't had a problem getting almost anyone to do it. Yeah, incredible. And, and so... Um, Obviously, there are some things coming up in the trauma space. Uh, a lot of people having success with psychedelic microdosing. That's a very in thing to talk about now. And, you know, if it gets results for people, it's wonderful. Um, I was keen on your take on, on that development. Um, obviously, that research started decades ago and was suppressed, unfortunately, but is back. Um, uh, my fear is that it's going to be productized in a way that uh, makes industry a whole bunch of cash rather than actually being about what it was designed for. How are you feeling about the, the psychedelics being brought in? I don't know much about that. I have to be perfectly okay. honest. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, as we become more aware of trauma as a culture and as we have been more traumatized as a culture, we've just been through two years of hell and we're still not finished with it. People are going to be looking for other things and, and you know, good luck to them. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that if you're looking to heal your trauma, you should really be doing it with the support of somebody who has uh, a reliable skill because it's a lonely journey and it's, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. And even when I'm training my own practitioners, I tell them, please don't work on yourself. Please work with a peer or come and see me because the support that is needed in trauma healing is a big part of the healing because you know if you think about when you were traumatized it was generally when you were on your own and and it's just very it, it's not easy to heal on your own um so i always make that a condition that that people always when they're going to work on their trauma that they that they have the support of the therapist um, as well so I always worry a little bit about these things that are sold just go and take a tablet and go and do it on your own I'm not sure how effective in, in the long run that that's going to be mm, absolutely and if you think about the cultural history of the uses of those plant medicines it was not a lonely experience it was tribes and groups and quite spiritual um, and about a connection uh, rather than, uh, yeah, yeah, a tablet that you take and good luck. Um, so I would love to hear, uh, you talked about Monica, but there are obviously many different examples that you would be able to share. And I would love to hear if you could share a, a couple more um, from different experiences uh, who were able to get incredible results with this method. Okay. Well, I... Um, even though I am principally training these days, I still see about 10 to 12, 10 to 15 a week uh, clients. Um, so I have a, a, a massive number to draw from. It's, <laughs> it's difficult to know 
to know who to share with you, but I think you want to hear different kinds of, uh, all right, so I'll, I'll draw on the most recent one. So, so a couple of weeks ago, um, I saw somebody after I'd been working for eight weeks with him. That's about one of the longest. My average time is about six, four to six sessions. But I'd seen this guy for a bit longer and he basically had an addiction problem. Addictions are the, I can, I can heal with QVC, I'm so pleased to say. I've actually found the, the way to heal addictions. And it's still a relatively short period of time, eight weeks, if you think about it. And this was a man who actually came to me about his relationship breakdown. And it was a breakdown, it was breaking down because, or it had broken down because he was a workaholic and he used too much alcohol at night. But basically he was addicted to work and he was a high flyer in the financial world. And um, he, you know, desperately lonely, suffering from depression and anxiety. So um, I started seeing him and the first part of the work was really to get his fear and anxiety under control. And when we went into his story, his, his story was in childhood, he had suffered, uh, the medical term for it is called proximal abandonment. And that's when mother's there, but not there. Uh, might have, say, postnatal depression. So she's there, she's taking care of his feeds and his, his bathing and, 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 and uh, you know, sort of external things, but she wasn't present for him. Uh, and that's actually a, a severe failure in attunement that uh, infancy needs, certainly for the first seven years of life. If that occurs, what it does is it leaves the person, Gabo Mate talks about it, as leaving you with a hole on the inside that is looking to be filled all the time. So it wasn't filled by the mother loving him because she couldn't, you see. So he was left with this inner emptiness. So what people do with addictions is as soon as they can uh, bond with something, they didn't bond with the mother. So they're looking to bond. And unfortunately, in our culture now, we've got our children bonding with video games and in the internet stuff. But this or, man... Or junk food or, yeah, there's so many exactly. things. Yeah. That's, that's the root cause of addiction. So I go to root cause. Remember what I said? I always want to know what cause. I'm not interested in saying to somebody, stop your addiction, because it doesn't work. Uh, you can go and stop your addiction if you're an alcoholic by 12-step program. But more often than not, what you find is that the alcohol stops and then they have a shopping addiction or they have a gambling addiction. It'll, it'll go somewhere else. But for me, I want the root cause. So in this man, we found the root cause was the, the proximal abandonment in his early childhood. Um, and so we healed that with my trauma work. I have a particular formula I follow, which includes forgiveness uh, for what happened and releasing the emotions around that. Uh, restoring trust and safety in oneself because that was lost from that traumatic experience. And with all of that, I call it a, my QEC trauma work, with all of that, the person in one session has healed that wound. And it's almost like it's rewired the brain because after that, the whole need for the addiction seems to just fade. And so he was changing uh, quite rapidly over the period of these seven weeks. And on the eighth week, we finally did work on the addiction itself. So I see, I work with the addiction as if it was a trauma too, which it is. Most people are quite traumatized by their addictive habit. 
in many ways they get isolated, they get shamed. And so we work on the trauma itself as an addiction. And this man was able to release his work addiction, his alcohol addiction in the space of eight weeks. I then saw him four weeks uh, follow up just to see how he was getting on, to see that it was sustained. And he came back to me, he was in a new relationship. He'd given up the high-flying job and he'd, he was now uh, turning to be a writer, which was his creative passion, had always been, but he never had the courage to go there. Aww. So a completely transformed life. How was really That's yeah. beautiful. That's in two months. Mm. You know, it's whereas when I was... People a, can try for years to yeah. sort that out. Yeah, And that's an average story. I'd say almost everybody that I see would have that kind of story. I don't have much of a failure rate. The only people that I can't work with uh, who don't seem to be suitable for QEC are people who've got a psychotic or a, a serious mental problem like schizophrenia or severe obsessive compulsive disorder. Anybody who's been seen by a mental hospital or had to be admitted uh, generally, their, their brain disorder is, is, is not within the reach of what I do, mm. but just everybody else is. Incredible. So, very high success rate, yeah. And how about with kids? We know that uh, kids are presenting with uh, higher and higher uh, incidence of mental illness, anxiety, um, lack of being able to cope. Um, can this kind of work help kids and how young so so this is the interesting thing i'm now working uh with children and families as um in, in an experimental way uh and i will be running a course on uh, training people how to work with children and families i've had a very strong feeling all along that we shouldn't be identifying the child as a problem even though they're the one with the symptoms because my feeling is that the child is steeped in the energy field of its parents. And you take that child out and you take it to have some counseling or some corrective thing. First of all, the child then gets to believe he is the problem. And, and secondly, you then got to put him back into that dysfunctional energy field. So, so what's going on here? It just, it didn't sit comfortably with me to do that. So I avoided working with children all this time. I've only been working with adults. So here's the thing. I've now worked with an Australian family and they, they are very happy to, to, have, to be known about this. They came to me because both mom and dad had been on my training. So they knew me well. And they came to me and they said, they're very worried about their daughter, Poppy, who's 14 years old. She's desperately depressed, very shut down, very unmotivated. And this has been going on for years, for years. Um, uh, the, the husband is, is, is her stepfather, and this had been actually could, could be traced back to when she was under five, when uh, her mom was in, in previous relationship with her ex-father, with her ex-husband, and it was a very violent relationship, and the little girl had witnessed all this violence. And then at the age of five, mom left and uh, took Poppy with her. So Poppy had gone through early trauma under the age of five with this dysfunctional violent abusive experience and that had impacted her for the rest of her years and she couldn't come out of it she was completely um you know her nervous system was completely shut down her mom said she seems frozen to me 
So instead of working with Poppy, what I did instead was I worked with the parents. And first of all, I cleared their energy field by treating each one of them to make sure all their trauma was healed so that their energy fields became very strong and very clear. And that we healed with them first. And then I went to step two, which is, this has all been online as well. Um, step two was to change their beliefs about her uh, and install at their subconscious level positive beliefs about, you know, Poppy can be well, she can be good, she'll be fine. So I don't remember all the sentences, but we changed uh, that. And I sent them off for another six weeks to see whether just changing their attitude and expectations would have had an impact. And it did. She started to soften. She began to, in, you know, interact with them instead of shut away in her room all the time. But it wasn't enough because she'd still had the early trauma. So I said, right, now what we need to do is we need to do this trauma formula work, but I'm not prepared to do it with a child herself because I think it would be a traumatic experience to have to go through that. So we worked with, with mom as a surrogate. So I can use kinesiology to change mom into poppy. So what we did mm -hmm. is we, we worked out what the sentences were to heal the child from that early trauma. We installed them in mom as a surrogate on her behalf. The child didn't even know any of this was going on, okay? And from the mm -hmm. next day until I interviewed them last week, two months later, this child is completely transformed. She's out and about, you know, going off kayaking up on the Gold Coast, all kinds of things that she's never done, never done. They're completely blown away. So it was... What, what it has shown me is that we can work with the problem child, the symptomatic child, by changing the parents, changing their energy fields, and then using one of them as a surrogate. And I, I, at the moment, I've got four other families that I'm working with as well and, and proving that this works. And I think it's, it's, it's going to be something that uh, is going to be of great interest to people in the future. Um, so I put it all together as a lecture and it's going to go out in March on a global conference on childhood trauma, complex PTSD. Um, they've asked me to, to do that. And luckily the Australian family have been videoed all the way through. They said, we want people to know about this. We don't care. Use us, use us. So I've got beautiful videos of, of Poppy and, uh, and how she is now and, and what the parents have done. So, so this is a very safe, uh, effective, successful way to heal the child without involving them at all. That's what's, what, what is amazing. So I think that's the way forward for my work with them anyway. Mm, absolutely astounding. Um, one we haven't talked about is uh, medical trauma which a lot of people have and some people talk about on the subconscious level even coming from a difficult birth that was never resolved um, and uh, I'm curious to see if you've ever had a client who has a difficult birth story that was never addressed because I think that's interesting to me that we can have traumas that we aren't even in our conscious minds aware happened and yet in the body it stayed so it's more than just difficult birth um, I actually when I do my trauma work 
I start at conception because the time, the time in the womb can be traumatic if you think about it. And the, the two major traumas that are potential in the womb, the one is if the mother is stressed, if the mother's are going through stress of war or whatever, she is then sending stress chemicals, mainly adrenaline, through the placenta into the child. So the child is being primed with stress chemicals before it even arrives. That's its first trauma there, right there. But there's a second potential in the womb. If the mother is rejecting the pregnancy and doesn't want it and is considering abortion. I sat with a lady the other day. She was un unexpectedly pregnant. She came to see me. She said all she wanted to do was, can I have the abortion? Maybe I should have it. Maybe I shouldn't. And I was sitting there thinking all of these thoughts are going through to this this six-week-old infant, you know, that's the first trauma is the one of initial rejection. Eventually, she can have abortion. Uh, but so, yes, I attend to the trauma at every stage. In fact, my medical questionnaire that I send to, to patients on page two is a developmental questionnaire. Are there any potentials that anything happened while you were in the womb? Was your, could your mom have been stressed? Was there any birth trauma? And every trauma that we record in each of the developmental stages from the history would be part, uh, part of what I release in my trauma work. Release each one of those. Absolutely. Well, I think, Melanie, people listening all around the world are now asking themselves, how can I do this? <laughs> um, how do we access this work? You mentioned that you train people uh, for the majority of your time now. So I would assume, therefore, there are a lot of practitioners online all around the world. Absolutely. If you go to my website, you'll be able to find practitioners all over the world. Uh, in, uh, we're in about 26 countries now. Um, and the website is... Um, qecliving.com, www.qecliving.com. All the practitioners are up there. But if you wanted to contact me directly, then through my PA, connect at qecliving.com. And Anima, my, my secretary, will, will take any requests. Maybe people would like to come and have a few sessions with me. I'm certainly seeing people. I, I do have spaces. I'm, I'm pretty booked, but I do have spaces. And I would certainly encourage people to, to come along to the training. The training is not long. It's 20 weeks long. And, and for that, you become a QVC practitioner. Um, you join an incredible community of people who uh, we, do a, we do a lot of things post-training as well. Um, so we have a fantastic community of supporting each other and and I give, you know, supervision and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's yeah, it's great. Do come along. Wonderful. And you've written a book, uh, which I didn't know about before our interview. Is that super recent? Yes, it came out in January. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't missed the boat in my research. It's very recent. Okay. Um, and in terms of what you would like, who you would like the book to connect with, uh, is that sort of everyone out there who's grappling with their story and it's just my story uh, it uh, you know it, it it's obvious that my interest in in uh, trying to get to the root cause of things came because I had a root cause that wasn't going away with tablets and it wasn't going away with psychotherapy own trauma so so that book my story is about my own story and how I healed myself I basically did 
created QVC so that I could heal myself because I knew that, you know, I had 20 years of Gestalt therapy with the best therapists in London that money could afford, I could afford. And, and I wasn't, there's stuff, my trauma wasn't healing. My shame, my self-hate and all that nonsense was just the same after 20 years. And it was like, why, why isn't that going? You know what I'm saying? But it's gone now. I'm completely gone and I've healed myself. So my book is about how I did that and why I did that. What a beautiful mess turned into an incredible message. Again, I think I love these stories of uh, people having the impossible task of sorting something really difficult out for yourself. And then you get there and you think, I have to do this for other people. Um, really in inspiring work. Yeah, I had no idea I was going to end up doing all these trainings. But, you know, I, I sorted myself first and then people noticed and they came to me, you know, and one thing led to another. And here I am. I'm now running a sort of international training online because since lockdown, it had to go online and then it became a different animal altogether. And, you know, how things grow, one thing leads to another. But I'm, I'm really glad that I've done it all and... I certainly know that the people who come to me and learn with me are, are always so grateful for having learned this and because they really are helping people. I get wonderful messages on a regular basis from, from my practitioners to say, your method is fantastic. Thank you so much. I helped somebody today. You know, there's oh, a lot wonderful. of support. And yeah. out of the students around the world who have undertaken that, uh, that course that you run, how many of them are health professionals wanting to add a new dimension to their practice? Very few. Right. Very few. So it's, so they, yeah. the people who come and train with me span all kinds of professions. Uh, but uh, of, of my own profession, probably two or three at most out of several hundred. Mm -hmm. I haven't got time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And we're back to the beginning. <laughs> and we're back to the beginning. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work you do do. Uh, it's wonderful to hear how many people you're able to help across so many different scenarios. Uh, and I wish you all the best. And I know everyone will be keen to connect with your work from uh, through our show notes where we have all of the resources. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Alex. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, yeah, if, if anyone's interested, do get in, get in touch. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at LotoxLife, or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks 
and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.